Well, you, you heard from Todd, and I don't know how many of you are aware or are, uh, follow the church liturgical calendar. I am willing to bet that most of you don't. Uh, but if you know anything about the church calendar, this time of year, the Sunday before Advent, uh, by liturgical churches, is called Christ the King Sunday. It is the preparation uh, for the church that before we go into Advent, where we focus on the incarnation, the, the Christ child coming and dwelling among us, that we remind each other that this child that is coming is the king. Is the king. The one who will rule, the one who provides a way of salvation. And so this morning, I want you to hear from Revelation chapter 1. And this is written by John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And he says this, Grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to be to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So this morning, we are going to be celebrating Christ the King Sunday. But we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2. As we we look at what was it that this king accomplished? And not only what did he accomplish, what impact? does that have on us? What is the fruit of what Jesus Christ accomplished have on his people? Those who are kingdom, priests to his God and Father. What impact does that have on Paul Vroom, John Windsor? Does it have on you as fellow believers in Jesus Christ? What impact? What, what should we see? So follow along with me from Titus chapter 2. If you grab a pew Bible, it's uh, page 998, and we're going to start at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, and we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive. 
to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of the Lord. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The Apostle Paul was driving home a hard message for young Titus. See, the Apostle Paul had traveled through on one of his missionary journeys. He had traveled through and planted churches in the, in the area of Crete. Multiple churches and mul- or multiple believers came to Christ. And he said to t- Titus, listen, here's the task. I have gone on to my next station, my next place. Here is your task. I want you to put into order what I left behind. I want you to put things into order. I want you to put proper eldership in place for the sake of the church. Because there was something that was going on. There, there was a, the church in that area was in a total mess, in a disarray. If you look through, if you read this whole section, Paul laid out, these are the qualifications for elders because we want you to glorify God. But there's people who are making a total mess. There, there's those who are considered teaching for shameful gain. There are those who are upsetting whole families by teaching wrong things. Things that don't accord with the gospel. There are people who are considered to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you like to hear that in your church? And he says, listen, you've got to put things into order. You've got to put the right men in the right place for the right reasons. And this is, these are the qualifications for these men. And this is how you disciple people. He, he lays out a structure for teach the older men this. Teach the older women this. So that the older women will teach the younger women this. Teach the young men this. They've got to be self-controlled. And on top of that, Titus, you have got to be this way. Your life has got to model out the doctrine that you believe. And then we get to this section right here, verse 11, that says, so what is that doctrine? Your lives need to adorn the gospel. Your your lives need to just say, oh, look at Jesus. 
by looking at my life. And so what is that gospel? It's this good news of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Here's the reality of their time and the reality of our time. The church has made a mess of the gospel. We've succumbed to culture. Culture trumps everything else. We make church decisions. We make denominational edicts about this and this and this based off of what culture is telling us to do. Even Martin Luther uh, King Jr., back in 1963, when he was jailed in, in Birmingham, Alabama, he wrote what was called the Letters in Birmingham. And Leah, I'm going to ask you to help me out with this. This is what, in, it's kind of these prophetic words that he had to say back in 1963. And you can read them up here on the screen. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If the church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. And I would add, it would dishonor God by not bringing glory to God. If the church does not recapture what we are called to be about, we dishonor God and we don't bring Him glory. So we have to look this morning of what is this doctrine that we are to teach? What is this, this thing that we are to embody and live and be transformed by? What is this good news of Jesus Christ? And What does that good news do to us? What happens to us when we receive this this goodness and loving kindness of God? What happens to us? Well, let's look at it. And we got to do a little bit of background work here. Let's look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Have have you ever heard of the word epiphany? What, What is an epiphany? Yeah, it's like all of a sudden, oh, everything, I, I get it. The lights come on. In the Greek, it, it often refers to, uh, if you look at the historical writings, it points towards the, the horizon. When everything is dark at night, and all of a sudden the sun comes up, what happens? Everything comes to light. Oh, you can see everything. It's, oh my goodness, look at this. An epiphany has happened. Light has come onto the surface. We get it now. Everything is made real. Everything is made alive. And here he's saying, the grace of God has epiphanied. Bringing salvation for all people. And that is good news. That the grace of God has appeared to us in a child 
who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has appeared on our historical surface and all the lights are coming on. The grace of God has appeared and he has brought salvation for Paul Vroom, Kathy Costello. He has brought this good news of salvation to every one of us. And But what does this gospel do? What does this good news do? It's a school of grace. It's a school of grace. Because look at here, verse 12. One of the things that this school of grace does is that it teaches us to say no. First thing it says, it trains us. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The gospel, if we truly understand it, and it impacts our heart, and we understand that it is poured out on us in abundance, and it transforms us, it teaches us to say no to what culture says yes to. It teaches us to say, you know what? That is ungodly. That is, that is not how I have been created to glorify God. That, that is not how I am to be living. My, I, my passions as a child of God who has been saved by grace, no longer has passions for the things of this world, but passions for the things of God. So I am being, it is training us. The gospel is, do you see that it's a progressive, ongoing thing? The gospel is training us to renounce these things. Is the gospel training you to say no to this world? Or does your flesh still say, but I need, I want, I gotta have. I've gotta be known. I've gotta be seen. I've gotta be heard. I've gotta be number one at the top of the dog pile. I've gotta have. I've gotta want. Because the gospel is training you to say no. Your identity in Christ is far more valuable than anything that the world can offer you. But not only is it training us to say no, it is teaching us to say yes to life. You can see that here at the tail end of 12. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, in the now It is training us to say yes to what is right. It is training us to say yes to to what God says. Listen, this is your original design. This is who I have created you to be. Live this upright. Do you remember the shalom in the Garden of Eden? Where there was perfect peace, where there was harmony, where we walked together? Live in that kind of a way. But don't only live that kind of way, this way, between you and me. Live it out this way as well. The impact of the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation has a tremendous amount of impact to the point that it just moves out. As, as goodness is poured into you, 
to the point of overflow, it overflows into other people's lives. You can see that here. It is training us to be self-controlled. It is training us to be upright and have godly lives. Always waiting for the blessed hope. Our time where we again will see him face to face. Waiting for that blessed hope of eternal life. But we are in the now are being trained to say no. And we are being trained to say yes to life in Christ. And we're waiting again for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, it's the epiphany. So there's another epiphany. It's the first epiphany appeared on the stage in history some 2,000 years ago. Christ came and brought salvation. But there's going to be another epiphany. That day that you die, that day when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, and we will live with him in eternity. The appearing again for eternity. If that does not move you to worship, to get off your little white hands into action, I don't know what will. And honestly, if that doesn't move you to great worship and get you excited about the things of God, what he's done in you and what he's doing in the world through the church, if that doesn't get you excited, part of me wonders, is your heart truly regenerated? Is your heart made new? Or are you just doing the church thing? It gets me excited to be able to think of the grace that was poured out to me at the age of 19 And all my spiritual bells and whistles went off. I saw it in technicolor. I understood the gospel. And that transformed me. And is transforming me. But it gets me even more excited to think towards eternity. It's just... Gets me excited. Verse 11, you know, talks about that it brings salvation. Do you get it? What happens? John MacArthur, throw this this slide up there. The very point of the redemptive grace of God through Jesus Christ is to save men from the corruption and damnation of sin. Sin that debilitates and crushes life that separates sinners from a holy God, and that persists in unredeemed mankind like an incurable and fatal disease. This grace of God was poured out to save us from spiritual death. Spiritual death. And I'm going to share just something. Didn't get permission from Dave, but yesterday... At the end of leadership community, uh, Dave's grandfather was in the hospital, not sure if this is going to be a life-death situation. And he came back in after talking to his mom and said, okay, here's the deal. If we know for sure that grandpa is, is saved, let him go. Let, let him go on to glory because, you know what, 
His eternity is set. But if he is not, you resuscitate that man. Do we have that kind of same passion? Because we understand that people apart from Christ are for eternity, for eternity lost. And does that move you into action? Does that send you out like missionaries with the good news? Listen, I've got the cure. And that cure is not fame. It's not fortune. It's not your job. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not your home. It's not any of these things. The only cure that is going to cure your ailment is Jesus Christ. Apart from him, you are doomed for death. I pray that we get this. That this is good news. That this gospel really is good news. If I don't start hearing some amen soon, I'm going to get ticked. This is good news. Amen. amen? Okay, so if this is good news, look at verse 14. Who gave him, we're talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. We are his. We are his. He is ours. This is just, this is good news. But look what happens. Who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. It's not our good works that are saving us, but our good works are a fruit of the gospel. It transforms us from being greedy, selfish people to selfless, loving, giving, generous, pouring out. And, we, and it's got to start with the gospel itself. I've got the best thing to be giving you, and it's Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share my life with you in every circumstance. I'm not going to be one of those obnoxious Christians who are constantly handing out flyers and dressed a certain way riding bicycles. I have got the message and I want to share my life with you. Because I've got the cure to what ails you. And on top of that, you are going to see generosity being poured out on you in every way possible. Because you know what? generosity has been poured out on me and I am totally undeserving. I am going to give and give and give and give and give in any way possible because I am going to be modeling this good news through my life. And Paul says, listen, because of what has happened to you, I need to do some reminders. And you see that in, in the top of verse uh, chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Why? Why be submissive? Because you know what? It reflects our submissiveness to the head, who is Jesus Christ. He's the one who has saved us. So in our submissiveness to authorities and leaders that God put into place, we are reflecting our submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are to be obedient. Why are we to be obedient? Because it is, again, reflecting what has happened to us, we are obedient to Christ's words. We're obedient to him as the Lord of our lives. Lord, you say go and I will go. You tell me what to do, Lord, and I will do that. And this is a reminder. Our lives are to be obedient. First to the word of God. 
His words. We are to be obedient to His words. And that reflects what has happened to us. Be ready for every good work. Again, you want to look at who was the master of good works? Look at the life of Christ Himself. He came to seek and save those who are lost. And look at how he did it. He, he went from village to village, healing, talking with those who are the outcasts of society. Every good work, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, doing all these different kinds of works. Yes, Christ himself did works. And so his church are, is also called to do works, but Not works that we think this is going to save us and get us a good position with God. But we do these things out of gratitude. As the grace has been poured out, we say, man, here I am. Take it all. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward who? All people. Some of us, that's a stretch. I can be courteous towards the people that I like, and show perfect courtesy even towards them because there's a benefit, you know. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. But he's saying, you show perfect courtesy towards all people. In verse 3, he goes on to say, "But and this is why. I want to do a reminder again. So he goes, this is the good news. God has shown up on the scene. The king has come. And he's coming again. Be obedient. Be obedient. Because this is who you are. And I want to remind you of something. Whenever he starts off with a for, pay attention. Or a but, pay attention. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. Led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. That was you. And if you don't believe it, ask somebody. That was you. Do you remember that? You were that person. That is a point of reference. That's not where you are right now. But that's who you were. Apart from Christ, you were dead. That was your identity before the goodness and kindness of our God and Savior appeared. Apart from Christ. That's who you were. Do you remember that? Sometimes we need to go back and remember that. Because we as Christians kind of live in the now. And I love this. But we forget who we once were. And when we remember that we were human lives without grace, it makes the good news even more beautiful. I am saved by grace. Verse 4, but do you remember, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior Epiphanied appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. But He saved us. He saved us. 
And that's the good news. You were that. Hated by others and hating one another. Filled with malice and envy. Greed. Full of discord and discontent. You were that. But when the grace of God appeared, He saved you. And in the Greek, it's, it's in the, the aorist active indicative. That means nothing to you other than it was accomplished at one time. It was a done deal. You are saved. Pow! Saved by grace. Done deal. The seal is on the document. You are saved. You're saved. Now what does that do to you? Saved by grace. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to your left. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were what? Dead. You were dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. And you were not only dead, you were an object of God's wrath. Because you are sinners in need of a Savior. But God, being rich in mercy. Do you hear anything from Titus to Ephesians? But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. So suddenly it's this corporate thing. Not just you and your personal salvation plan. He made us alive together. And that's good news too. Because I'm no longer the lone soldier. We're together in this. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. And so what do we do with gifts, of, gifts from God? We share those gifts from God. We share this, this gift of salvation has been poured out to me. This gift of goodness and grace and mercy has been poured out to me. And it's not for me to hoard because it wasn't mine in the first place. It wasn't something that I could conjure up. It was nothing, not my good deeds. It was a gift from God. And you know what? Out of that gracious gift, I need to share with you. I need to... I need to share this good news. I need to give, give, give it away. As much as I can, I'm going to give it. And I'm going to give some more. 
The amazing thing is that at that point of transaction, when we have been saved by grace, at that point of transaction, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The, the old is gone. It's gone. And the new has come. And so, what does this new look like? Who, who are we? When Christ the King appeared on the scene and saved us by grace, not by our works of righteousness, but by His. Who do we become? We become heirs, verse 7 says. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 8, 17 says, And if we're children of God, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. We're part of this. Revelation 1 said, we're part of a kingdom. We're part of a holy priesthood of believers. And what do priests do? They offer sacrifices. They, they prepare the things. They prepare the people. They, they, they model out. Even if you look at the Old Testament rituals, what did priests do? They modeled out the gospel. They prepared the sacrifice. They killed the animal and said, here, consume it, Lord. And so how do we say, Lord, here I am. I'm putting to death my old life. And I'm putting on Christ, my new life. That, that's dead to me. But this is new, and this is powerful, and this is precious. This, this is the kind of faith that can even move mountains. Where it can even change cold, hard stones of our heart to hearts of flesh that beat with God's very purposes, that beat with the things that God desires for us, for our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, for our world. Our hearts are changed, transformed. And these, it moves us to be different people. Part of my heart breaks because I don't think that we really get it. You know, since day one, Missio Day Church has said we want to be a char- church that is sent out on God's mission. And it's not just a mission of good deeds and you know, like, I'm excited that tomorrow, we as a church, I don't know if you know this, we as a church are going to be providing a dinner for all of the teachers of Mokina Elementary School. Free of cost. That is 
a witness of the gospel, of graciousness, of people that we don't even know. And that's a a corporate act that we're doing as a church. But each of you are sent out into your neighborhoods. How many of you know the names of your lost neighbors? Yell them out. Huh? Anybody else? Anybody else know neighbors? That are lost? Need of grace? If you don't, you know, Laura and I live on a Christian camp compound where we, we have no neighbors, so that makes our work far more difficult of going out into places and listening and building relationships with lost people and saying, listen, my church is doing these things, but you know what? I am sent also to do these good works and to reach and give you the best message, the, the thing that will cure what ails you, that will bring you life, will make you a new creation in Christ, I've got the best thing. I'm also going to show it through the way that I love you and I give my time to you. I'm going to show, show it to you by the way that I, how I steward the stuff that I have. And you are going to be seated at my table at a place of honor I'm going to give you the best meal that I know that I can make I'm going to do that even if it's shake and bake chicken if that's all that you know how to make and you can make a mean shake and bake chicken invite people into your home and give them the best shake and bake chicken all to the glory of God Your homes are to be mission outposts. Not your little castle for safety and security for your children. These are missional outposts to reach out. You are in your neighborhoods, a city on the hill, a beacon of light for lost people, pulling them in almost like moths to those lights. Hopefully you won't zap them. But it's like you have this thing where they're just compelled to come to the light and witness the light. See it. What is this? Who are these people? They are so bizarre. They're they're anti what the culture is telling us. Not because they're militant, but they're just different. They're generous. They're givers. They're lovers. They're forgiving. They're not angry. They forgive quickly. Who are these people? Let me tell you who I am. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Before Christ, this is who I I was. Before Christ, I was foolish, disobedient, led astray, a slave to my own passions, my own pleasures. I was passing my day in anger and envy. I was hating other people and I was hated myself. 
But the grace of God came to me. And it's made me a different man. It has transformed my marriage. It's transformed my children. It's transformed my finances. It's transformed the way that I look at you. And these good works, I just want to be clear. I've been doing these things because they're not the groundwork of my salvation. But these good works that I'm called to be careful to devote myself to, these good works are the fruit and evidence of the gospel. It's the fruit and evidence of the gospel. You want to see what's done to me? Let me show you. Watch my life. Even Paul says that to those hey, disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. I'm a good example. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm working it out. But follow after me. Look at my life. Observe what I do. Does your life point to the good work that has been done for you and in you. Has anything changed? Second Corinthians 5 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. I love it. The love of Christ controls us. I'd like to think that it persuades us, doesn't it? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. But for him who died for their sake died, who for their sake died and was raised. We no longer live for ourselves. I dare you, look at your checkbook. I dare you, look at your time. Chart out your time, how your time is laid out. Look at how you use your your passions and your, your gifts. I dare you. And then put it up to this. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But they live for the one who has died for us. We live now not for me. You don't live for you. You live for Christ. And that's a totally different way of living, isn't it? Totally different. Changes everything. Matthew 5 says this. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a certain way that we live, that we let our light shine before others that transforms people, that points people to Jesus Christ so that ultimately they will do what? We pray that they will give glory to Our Father who is in heaven. The very one who provided a way for you. 
in this Advent season. My challenge. This is a a time of the year where people are either delusional about what Christmas is really about and or they're hungry for meaning and purpose. They're starving and praying that maybe a few quick gifts and a family get-together will solve it. My prayer is that during this Advent season, we all evaluate what has been done for us through the epiphany, the appearing of grace. When we talk about Advent conspiracy, we have a high goal of $3,000. And as a church, a young church, a lot of you are riddled with that. Could you imagine reaching that goal or far exceeding that? Because we're now no longer living for ourselves. We're living for Christ. And even in that, we're discipling our children, our family, our friends, our neighbors. That, listen, I do this because of what's been done to me. And maybe that means that you are, for once, extravagant at Christmas. I'm not saying forget all the gifts, forget all the presents, but maybe it's for a change. You say, man, I love you in the way that Christ loves me. And so I'm going to be generous. What has happened to you? I've never received this many. Let me tell you about it. As grace has been poured out to me, I just want to love you. Maybe some of you need to take back Christmas. The North American Christmas. You've just been giving gifts willy-nilly because, well, that's what we do. And my kids expect a DS or a, a we. And so, man, we've we got to give it to them because culturally that's what we do. Maybe it's time to do some discipleship and say, you know what? There are people in this world in this time who need more. And you need less. Your world isn't going to end because you don't have that. But theirs might begin. I love, we've got a family tradition. My wife, and it's more my wife's, but she bakes cookies. And she bakes cookies, and she bakes cookies, and she bakes cookies. Sarah Phillips has created on the city an event where you can bring, what was it, 12 dozen cookies? Who does that? But you're to bring 12 dozen cookies, and you trade cookies. And so you'll come home with a gajillion, 144 cookies. It excites my wife because what does she do? She buys plates, and we go to neighbors. And we give them away. And they always go, why do you do this? Do you want these plates back? Uh Uh-uh. It's a gift. It's showing, modeling. I've been given. 
Those to whom much has been given, much is expected, right? I'd love to hear stories over this Advent season. Maybe you can post them on the city, send me an email, share them with me verbally of how, you know what? I'm getting the gospel more today. And it's transforming the way that I look at stuff and people. It's sending me into worship. It's giving me a missionary heart. It's calling me to be less selfish, to put to death my my flesh, my pleasure, my desires, my passions, to live for him and to join him on this mission of redemption and reconciliation. What is God calling you and us to? Pray for those neighbors. Don't just pray for them around a dinner table. Pray for them. Invite them over, Jenny. Shake and bake. Invite them over. Invite them into your life. Even as messy as it is. It's better than a life apart from Christ. Invite them into your life. Be generous with your time, your talents, and your treasure. Be a light on a hill that shines out brightly during this Christmas season and beyond. Be one that shows the fruit of the Spirit in vibrant, technicolor kind of ways. Because according, according to this, it says that He poured out on us richly. The Holy Spirit was poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if He poured out the Holy Spirit richly on us, the fruits of the Spirit are poured out on us, the gifts of the Spirit are poured out on us, and we're called to Use those gifts. If you need some accountability, there's plenty of people in here. You need to do some brainstorming. Brainstorm with one another. If you don't know any lost people, get to work. Get out of your castle. Or maybe just open your eyes. This is good news, folks. You have been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace. Not because of your works of righteousness, not because of your good deeds, but because of an act of mercy. May it transform you in a powerful way.